uh, my name is Ben Terleski. If I haven't met uh, you before, now you know who I am. Delighted to be with you. Uh, some of you may recognize me as my wife Sandy and I are up on the platform, sometimes leading worship. Let's bring ourselves before the Lord in prayer, shall we? Gracious God, thank you for the opportunity to come and just praise your name. And we do that with gladness because we know it blesses your heart. Thank you that we can open your word. We know that blesses you as well as your people study it together. And so, by your spirit, direct our steps, our thoughts. Might all things truly lift you up, I pray, Lord Jesus. And thank you that you gather with us. Um, I've had the opportunity uh, during the last while to uh, speak over at Pavilion of Hope Church. It's another North American Baptist ministry in South Calgary, and that's why you don't see us around here a whole lot. So we uh, try to lend our ministry and gifts and talents over there, and we're there during the month as well. But delighted to be able to join you today and uh, share out of God's Word. My mother, should she have been alive this month, would have been 92 years old this month. The Lord took her to be with him several years ago. And um, and that's okay, even though we miss her. She was a wonderful person, had a wonderful spirit, loved God, and sought ways to serve him continually. Even though she had had strokes multiple times, she still looked for ways to serve God fellowship with his people and get into his word. One of the interesting things about my mother is she had a library or libraries and she often had books lying around. And so I would, uh, some of those books I went out and bought myself, other ones I acquired from her library after she passed away. One of those books was written by Billy Graham entitled Angels. And so I had that book, and my brother-in-law, who was in ministry, I think it was about that time he was pastoring at a church in B.C., came to me and said, Hey, Ben, can I borrow that book, Angels? And I thought it was a safe lend, because I knew where to find the book. Well, after about one or two years went by, I figured it was time to retrieve the book. So I approached him, I said, Hey, remember that book I lent you? Do you have it still? He says, Sure. He brings it out, but it's all tattered in beat up. And I look at the book. I mean, the top right corner is just terrible shape. I says, what happened to my book? Oh, the dog got a hold of it. (laughs) Just chewed the thing up like dogs will do, right? Well, there you go. I have another copy since then. So really the theme for our message this morning is how to keep your personal belongings away from pets. (laughs) Good luck with that, right? No, we'll be talking, we'll be talking about how God ministers to His people using angels. That'll come up. It's in our text as we get to reading that here in just a few moments. The title you may be saying, well, hold on, preacher. How did you come up with that title? Angels on the 22. Stick with me. You'll have it all figured out in just a couple of minutes. And probably many of you will be able to relate. Angels. I think North Americans are favorable to the existence of angels. I believe that. Someone did a study a while ago asking themselves how many Americans actually believe in angels. Paul says, now be careful, he said to the church 
in Colossae in chapter 2, don't go worshiping angels. But I think people believe in the existence. The study back in 2014 actually said as many as 77%, 77% of Americans believe in, in angels, in the existence of them. Whereas 40% at that time concede climate change is a reality. Wow. Now, what media outlet do you not listen to today that is inundating us with the topic of climate change? But we don't hear people talking about angels. Isn't that interesting? Who are they, these angels? Are they for real? How do we know? Uh, what's their purpose, their origin, their, re- their residence? Can't talk about all that today because we really want to get into our text. Do they truly have wings? What do you make of that passage in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, where the writer says, Now don't forget to show hospitality, to strangers, for by doing so, some have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Wow. There's no doubt the shepherds there on that Christmas scene believed in angels. There's several weeks we could take on this subject, but we're not going to get to that. Quick overview is that angels are created. They're spiritual beings. They have great might and power. They may have ranks and different orders. Hebrews chapter 12 would tell us there exist thousands upon thousands of angels. They are here, Scripture would teach us, to help in an earthly ministry. They help guide people, cheer them, strengthen them, defend them, protect them. And when Jesus comes again, angels are going to be with them. A whole bunch of them. A whole bunch when he comes. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you've got your finger in Psalm 91. We're going to, I'm going to read through that. And there's some things I want you to kind of keep your eyes and ears open for. The mention of angels, okay? Now, to help understand this passage, think of it this way. There are transitions that take place in the 16 verses. The first two verses, and then it moves verse 3 to 8, and then verse 9 to 13, and then it concludes with the last three verses. You say, I don't understand. Again, stick with me. I'll help you to figure it all out. So stay with me here and follow along. I think it'll be up on the screen behind me, Psalm 91. I'll read the 16 verses. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Verse 9. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge then no harm will befall you, 
No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. Will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Wonderful passage. Keeping in mind there's transitions that take place here. Okay, where did the title come from? January, just around a year ago, January 10th, 3.45 in the afternoon. How exacting is that? I'm out on business. I have work to do in Drayton Valley, Alberta. If you know where that is, Highway 22 is also called the Cowboy Trail. The easiest way to get to Drayton Valley from here is jump over to 22, go north. It'll come to a dead end. If you go right, you get to Calmar and Leduc. If you go left, you go down into the beautiful North Saskatchewan River Valley, cross the bridge, you go up the other side, and you're in the community of Drayton Valley. Back in January 10th, I'm heading there. And now, I don't take my own vehicle. The business I represent rents me a car. This time it was a Toyota RAV4. Nice little vehicle, gets you where you're going. So I'm approaching the bridge, and as I enter onto the bridge, I notice on the bridge on the other side, coming toward me as a snowplow. I say, well, it's January and there's snow everywhere. It makes sense that there's a plow on the road, right? As I get closer to the vehicle that's approaching me, I see something unique. Normally, the operator of the snowplow has his blade on an angle so that all the snow will be ejected over the guardrail onto the berm. You follow me? You know what I'm talking about. For some reason, this operator decided to put his blade flush with the truck sideways. That means equal slush, crud, rocks, water are spraying in both directions off the truck, including my lane. When I notice this, I say, oh wow, I got to get my windshield wipers on. But remember what I'm driving? A rental vehicle. And if you're like me, you're fidgeting everywhere trying to find the right button because it's not your own vehicle. I'm getting desperate. I'm doing something like 100 kilometers an hour, and I can't find this windshield wiper apparatus, button, lever, whatever you call it. And at that moment, wham, onto the windshield is this huge spray spray of crud. And it just floods the windshield, and it's a brown haze, and I can't see anything. At that moment, I believe with confidence God sent his angels and took care of me. I managed to keep that car in a straight line and very quickly found the windshield wipers, cleared the wipers, never hit anything, never had an accident. Within an hour of that event, my daughter had called me because we communicate when I'm on the road. I have one of those Bluetooth, in case you're wondering, okay? And I have a Bluetooth, and, and she calls me. She says, Dad, I just want to tell you what happened. I was coming from our place on a gravel road going toward the highway that would get me into Fort Assiniboine, Highway 661, which is just north of Fort Assiniboine. She has a really good car, great winter tires, all-wheel drive. She approaches the intersection to stop, and she can't. 
She's sliding out of control, doing everything she can to get control. And at the last moment, she gains control of the car and comes to a stop, inches away from a logging truck that's coming down Highway 661. God sends his angels to guard us. We don't see it coming, but God is there. It is interesting to me the number of people who have shared what I call their almost dead experiences. Not near death, almost dead. Maybe that's been your experience. You say, hey, preacher, if we got time, I could share you about my story. But some of us will have this belief. Oh, it's just a wonderful coincidence that you didn't get hurt that day on that bridge. Or you had good luck. Or it was fate or happen chance or you knock on wood. Folks, I don't believe that. I believe God sends his angels. Now, I know that today in a group this size that there are some people who are going to be hurting. You have something that has weighed you down. Maybe you've just lost a loved one. Your finances are in disarray or your health is poor. Understand that this passage still applies Even in the midst of your crisis, God shows up. He is not on the sideline. He is very much present. You call upon Him. He is there. Rest in that today. So let's take some time looking at Psalm 91. How do we study this? How best can we understand it? Well, it's really, as I see it, there's four segments to this text, and it really has to do with uh, a transition. Let me explain what I'm saying here. In verse number 1 and 2, though we don't know who the psalmist is, I believe it is the psalmist giving us his personal confession. In verse number one, he makes a statement. He says this, Understand that the person who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Then he goes on and confesses. He says, This is my experience. This is what I believe. He says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge. He says, He, that is God, is my fortress. He is my God, and in Him I will trust. Is that your testimony, your confession today? Is that what you tell other people when these crises come into your life? Yes, my life is upside down right now, but that does not change the fact that God is God. He has me in His protection. He cares about me deeply. Yes, I walk through a deep valley, but God is is present. Let me explain that a little bit more how that works because it is a confession that works for believers. Let me and that's really the believer's assurance. From verse number 3 to 8, if you look up there, he transitions from saying me and I, he now goes on to say in verse 3, surely he that is God will save you. So he goes from my confession, he says, Now, folks, you who believe this to be true, this is what God is doing on your behalf. He will save you. He will cover you in verse 4. Verse number 5 and 6, You will not fear. Then he says, Now look, in verse number 7, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. He says, you will only observe. How is that possible? I think part of the key to this, friends, is up there in verse 4. Notice it says at the end of the verse, his faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. It is as though God in our time of crisis 
puts between us and the crisis himself as our shield. He puts between us and the calamity himself as our rampart. What is a rampart? Had to kind of look at that and figure it out. A rampart is an embankment that would be built between you, between a city, to protect it against its enemies. And that's what God becomes for us. And in verse number 8, it says, you will only observe with your eyes. So picture that great uh, imagery going on here. It's as though God is the shield and we're looking behind it. Well, God is protecting us. It's as though God is the rampart and we're just peeking above the bank to see how God is taking care of our situation. Great confidence that God is to us, to all who put their trust in him. The believer's assurance. Notice in verse number 3 and in verse number 6, the word pestilence is used. What is a pestilence? It is a fatal epidemic disease, especially in reference to the bubonic plague. Now, when I study the book of Psalm at any time, one of the things I always do is pull out Charles Spurgeon's um, uh, study on the book of Psalm. He gives an illustration that might paint the picture here for us that you can take with you today. Charles Spurgeon, uh, talking about Psalm 91, says this, Lord Craven lived in London when that sad calamity, the plague, raged. His house was in the part of the town called Craven Buildings. On the plague-growing epidemic, his lordship, to avoid the danger, resolved to go to his seat in the country, meaning he had place to live out in the country. His coach and six were accordingly at the door, his baggage put up, and all things in readiness for the journey. As he was walking through his hall with his hat on, his cane under his arm, and putting on his gloves in order to step into his carriage, his servant who served him said to another servant, I suppose, listen to this, I suppose my Lord's quitting London to avoid the plague that his God lives in the country and not in town. Oh, did you get that? The servant said this in simplicity. The speech, however, struck Lord Craven very sensibly and made him pause. My God, thought he, lives everywhere and can preserve me in town as well as in the country. I will even stay where I am. The ignorance of his servant has just now preached to me a very useful sermon. Lord, pardon this unbelief and that distrust in thy providence which made me think of running from thy hand. He immediately ordered his horses to be taken from the coach and the baggage to be taken in. Listen to this. The conclusion here, he continued in London, was remarkably useful among his sick neighbors and never caught the infection. God is able, friends. What is it you're packing today? What is it that has you weighed down? What is it that you are running from that God would have you stay put? What is it? I don't know. But I encourage people when I'm speaking because I cover a lot of territory, take notes, have your Bible, and bring a pen. Not because it's so much what I'm saying, but what God might be saying to you. Write that thing down and go do it. Carrying on, 
pestilence. He talks about the arrow flying around, arrows everywhere, whether that's physical arrows or is he talking about the arrows that we find in Ephesians chapter 6, those deadly arrows, those flaming arrows from the evil one. God will go before you. I want to read a verse out of Deuteronomy. Remember when God was saying to his people, you're going to enter the promised land. You remember all that? You with me? You remember that story? This is what God also had to say about when they were going to enter. This assurance comes for you today. But be assured today that the Lord your God is the one who goes ahead, goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you and you will drive them out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised. It wasn't the strength of the Israelites. It was the hand of Almighty God going before them, before us into our situation. That's what the psalm writer is talking about. And he says, here's my confession, my testimony. Here's what he says is the truth for all believers. And then he goes into verse number nine, a universal hope. Because some of us are just struggling today to find that faith to believe God for our situation. Some of us have never trusted God, possibly in this gathering. We don't know him personally. We have not come under his love and protection. So now he says this. He talks about universal hope as we look at verse number 9 through to verse number 13. And there's a shift again. Remember he's talking first about his confession. He talks about the body of believers. Now he's saying for those, he says in verse 9, if you make the most high your dwelling place, a shift in thinking, those that haven't to date put their trust in God as the refuge. He says to that one, you will find God to be faithful. The psalmist is not saying or suggesting to people to try God. I believe he is encouraging people to trust God. And there's a bit of a difference. Well, I'll give God a try and if it doesn't work out, well, I thought so. No, he's saying lay it before God. Put it in his hands Trust him with it. Notice in verse number 10, if you're there, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. What is that saying? If you've ever gone camping, we used to camp. And then we got uh, a little tent trailer that you pull behind your vehicle. You know what's nice about that? It can rain like crazy and you don't get your sleeping bag wet right? Now we have one of those RVs. But think about your camping days. You have to find the right place to put your tent peg, right? Or it's not going to stand up. That's what the psalmist is saying. When you plant your tent, make sure you plant it in the shadow of God, the presence of God, where God is. Put yourself in his presence and allow him to do his work. But it's most interesting, and you're going to see this right away, that God is not suggesting we go live our lives willy-nilly, doing what we want, with the expectation that God is going to show up and protect us. Do you know that? That's what the Word is saying, not just expecting. That was the very ploy that the devil used of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. You say, well, I thought I heard that passage somewhere, verse 11 and on. The devil quoted scripture 
to Jesus during or the conclusion of his wilderness wilderness experience. You remember? He says, well, he took him up on a high place and said, now just cast yourself down because, remember what Scripture says, he'll send his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. There you go. You're not going to stumble. Just jump off the edge. And Jesus says, remember, don't put the Lord your God to the test. So the point is, God is not saying, live your life as you want and I'll show up when you're in a pickle. He's saying, follow me and I will be with you. Let me share a few things with you. I don't have enough time. I wish I did, Layla, to share some of my illustrations. I should have been dead at age seven. I was buried for some five minutes under a pile of gravel. All that was left out was this much of my arm. I should have been dead. I should have been dead when I was 17 years old. The way I drove my car as a teenager and found out later what the car I should have had a blowout at 100 miles an hour. I'm not. I'm here today. Why? Even in my ignorance, God showed up. And you may be saying, preacher, I got a story for you. And I know that. But God shows up even in our ignorance. But let us not put him to the test. Let us not do that. Jesus says, don't test God. Don't test God. Age 39, I was 10 days in the hospital with acute pancreatitis. This close to dead. This close could have gone either way. I'm here today. Why? Because God sends his angels even in the midst of a medical crisis because he has a plan for me. And if you're still here living, breathing today, as best as I can tell, all your eyes are open. Okay? God has still has a plan for you, my friends. And he puts his angels in charge of keeping an eye on you. And I believe when we step into eternity, one of the things we're going to see is angels with wings all wore out with holes in them. Say, do you know what I had to do when you were a teenager to keep up to you? <laughs> That'll be their testimony. Oh, you're the one. Thank you very much. Age 59, my wife and I are in Merritt, B.C. We're on our motorbike, stopped at an intersection because a car is coming in the intersection. We're supposed to merge. And all of a sudden, wham, from behind, somebody runs into the back of us, pushes us toward the oncoming traffic. At that age 59, I should have been, I could have been dead. What changed? God was there. Do not forget it, friends. God universally cares about all of us because he loves us deeply. Believe that. Whatever you're going through, in the back of your mind, there's a, sti- there's a voice that nags you and says, God don't love you. If God loved you, you'd be able to meet those bills at the end of the month. If God loved you, cancer wouldn't be in your body right now. If God loved you, your kids would get along with you better. Don't believe it. God encircles you, puts you in his presence, guards you as with a shield and a rampart. He loves you dearly, and don't listen to that. Because the passage that the devil did not quote to Jesus follows right after. And if you notice that, as you carry on down, it says, and said, you'll not strike your foot. In verse 13, you will tread upon the lion and the cobra. Who's that a reference to? That is a reference to the devil in Scripture. The lion who roams a route seeking whom he may devour. That serpent is reference to the devil, which we start to see way back in the book of Genesis. Believe it, friends. God loves you, and he's going to work out his wonderful plan and purpose for you. Got to finish up to get to Renfrew. Want to just share with you the conclusion. God's guarantee. Now, I couldn't think of a better word than guarantee, but it's a good word. And here's why. 
Here's why. Because if God says it, it's something that we can put our insurance and confidence in that it's true. It's true, friends, if God says it. I don't need a written piece of paper with says guarantee on it because I have the Word of God, the Word of God spoken by God through His prophets that says it to be true. But notice the basis for this. So it's a change, it's a transition again. Now it is God speaking in verse 11, uh, sorry, verse uh, Uh, verse 14 through to the end of the chapter. Notice God says, because he loves me, and at the end of verse 14, and because he acknowledges my name. You make that choice. God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you encompass my problem, my life, my finances, whatever's going on, I present that to you. I confess that to you, God. What is it, friends? What is it that God by His Spirit is knocking on your door today saying, remember that thing that weighs you down? Have you given it over to me? Have you brought it under my protection? I want to act. I want to act. I want to be there. I want to supply. My angels are standing ready at this moment. What is it, friends? This is what God says. Eight things. You see them up on the screen in front of you. He will rescue him to the one who trusts him and acknowledges his name. He will rescue him. He will protect him. Do you see that? He will answer him when he calls. He will be with him in trouble. I say that is he will uphold him. He will deliver him. He will honor him. He will satisfy him, I like this one, satisfy him with long life. That's because I'm getting closer to the goalpost. You know what I mean? Some of you gray hairs get it, okay? (laughs) Because I'm getting there. He will satisfy him with long life. And he will assure him by showing his salvation. It's all there in those three verses. So I don't speak lightly of your crisis, your calamity. I don't. But I can testify, as I'm sure many of you can this morning, God has been faithful. He's been there. He's shown up. And I can't explain how this took place, but rest assured, God sends his ministering angels on your behalf. And he will continue to do that. But will you trust him in that thing that weighs you down? I don't know what it is. And there may be crisis coming from me, but this is what we should be doing. We should be taking that thing, going before God, and saying, God, I've wasted all my energy. Mentally, I'm out of it. I'm exhausted. But thank you that you will come near. Be encouraged. May that be your confession in 2023. How's that looking anyhow? You're doing pretty good with those resolution things? I got one minute and then I got to run, okay? I'm going to share with you, uh, somebody said one of the top ten resolutions would be that they would live life to its fullest. Isn't that a grand idea? So back in 1989, I was on a canoe on Wobbleman Lake. You know where that is? West of Edmonton. Canoeing around, there must have been a campground there for, maybe it was a camp for children or something, but there was a sign about swimming. And I saw this sign, and it said this. The, sign, the camp sign said, No swimming except when designated. 
No swimming except with a lifeguard. But buddies swimming only. No diving, no pushing, and have fun. <laughs> I hope that your resolution to trust God more brings you great fulfillment and blessing. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you that you love us so deeply. Thank you for the confession and the testimony of the psalm. Thank you that many folks here, I'm sure, if they were standing up front, could say, God is ever-present, my help in trouble, and that I have known him to be my shield, my fortress, my rampart, my refuge. Might we continue to just praise your name. Whatever may be on the heart of these your people today, might they find your grace in abundance to commend that to you, to press on and glorify your name. Might 2023 be a wonderful blessing, life to its fullest, because of you, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you, each one.